0: And this is Cooking Up a Podcast. Each week, I'm talking to people about food and cooking, making some recipes, and going on some adventures. You can find it all at nevintaylorcooks.com. This week, I went up to Goshen, Vermont, and met Ethan West and talked about maple syrup and beekeeping. This week, we have a new segment of the podcast called Eva's Update. We're checking in down in Dartmouth with Eva's Garden and Eva Samaripa. If you don't know or and you haven't listened... You can hear her story on episode six of this podcast, Um, and hopefully we're going to check back in kind of as the season goes on of what's going on down on her organic herb and vegetable farm in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. So this is Check In With Eva so we can see what's going on down at the farm.
1: that's really interesting with maple syrup that we still will have this week plenty of is um, sweet Sicily fresh seeds so this sweet Sicily is a very very hearty plant first you get leaves in early spring then you get um, very delicious flowers and everything has a sweet licorice flavor but the most sweet and the most licorice is the uh, these little seeds which We harvest when they're fresh and green and soft and chewy, and they're just like eating little bits of candy. Really fun for little kids. You can just pick them off, and it's a nice thing to grow. It grows in the shade. It grows in the sun, wherever you want it, and uh, it comes up year after year. So um, those little seed pods, uh, what maple syrup brought to mind was that um, my friend Dee Dee Emmons, actually smashed some of them up with a little maple syrup. And for some reason it was really good. And it, and it uh, it lasted for weeks and weeks and weeks in the refrigerator. And
0: um, yeah, that's super cool. So those are the seeds are, so that's after it flowers or that, yeah, after it flowers, right?
1: After it flowers, uh, each little flower that is pollinated will create a seed.
0: So what last time, I mean, when I was down there, there was like, nothing was starting to go yet. But so I'm sure that everything is like really lush right now down there.
1: It is really lush. And, um, a lot of things are flowering now. And one is my favorite Angelica. This is the year of the Angelica.
0: Oh yeah. The plant that you gave me, I put in our, we have a community garden down the street and it's flowering now too.
1: Yes. And I think those flowers are just amazingly, uh, interesting flavor it's just quite unlike anything you really have to acquire the taste I think yeah they're wonderful and for years it's been considered a very powerful medicine in northern Europe right and, uh, and I think you can feel some of that like lavender flowers um, mm. and even lavender leaves to some extent you you crush them up you smell them and or, and, and they do something to you physiologically they actually have an effect. And um, which is a kind of relaxation. And I feel that Angelica, uh, the various parts of it, when you just cut off a, a stalk and smell the uh, the sap inside. And the flowers are a little different because they also have that sweetness of being, um, of having nectar to attract bees. And they're a great bee attractor. Uh, but um, the uh, And then the stalks that support those flowers become very rigid and tough and you can use them for straws, and but I know with Lovage, which is also uh, at this point beginning to go to flower and has a kind of similar growth habit to Angelica, though much smaller and less dramatic, some of my Angelica are literally seven feet tall. Lovage, I think there is a tradition of using the Lovage stalks which are hollow, like the Angelica stalks are hollow as a straw and i know there's a big effort now to get people to stop using plastic straws and start using paper ones but even better than paper using uh uh, the stalks of flowers that actually have or leaves that actually have flavor and uh lovage works really well that way and i I hear people using him for uh bloody mary's you flavor the bloody mary with a little leaf yeah then you use uh, the
0: stalk to drink it
1: Stock to drink it. Oh and
0: man! If <laughs> if people stopped using plastic straws and started using lovage stocks and angelica stocks, that would be amazing.
1: No, but you have to be pretty close to the garden to do that, though. I think. Yeah, or, definitely. The, it doesn't have quite the uh, the broad swath, and uh, the, and the um, lavender, which I did mention, is going to flower right now. All of ours is either in bud or some of the earliest is in flower, and um, uh, and that those lavender flowers are just amazing you just strip them off of a stalk and put them in your hand crush them up a little bit and your day will be better you you (laughs) can literally feel your muscles relax it is amazing um elder flowers are about to bloom
0: oh yeah they're starting up here right now i just saw some yesterday
1: and they, you know, I guess are primarily used for syrup, and they just look beautiful. And I just learned recently from my friend Tama Matsuka, a forager in New York, that the two different varieties of elder flowers uh, have different flavor profiles. The the um, the Sambuca is the name of the general name of that plant, and Sambuca nigra, she says, is uh, the um, European version, and that tends to have more powerful flavor in the flowers than Sambuca canadensis, which is, I guess, the American version. So another thing that's coming up now, that is in its peak right now this week, are the uh, wild rose petals.
0: Oh, the beach rose.
1: The beach rose is the ones that grow on the beach, which are not native to this continent. They are technically an invasive. Really? What what a wonderful one. Yep, Asian origin. uses are... One, Matt Jennings pickling them. Yeah. Two, um, Maura Kilpatrick at um, Sofra is, um, makes and has for many years made fabulous rose petal jam. It's Mm. a syrupy jam. Yeah. And the third fabulous use of it is Christina's Ice Cream in Cambridge in Mm. in Illinois. And right now, if you go to Christina's for the next three weeks, uh, he buys a whole bunch of roses, petals from us every week, and makes it into this divine ice cream. It is like a pink cloud. Another fun flower, edible flower, to know about is the um, uh, the f- what we call crucifer flowers. The whole crucifer family, which includes we're not also some you know synonymous with brassica, pretty much. So kale, mustard. Arugula, tatsoi, all those things which we grow as greens for our greens mixes, uh, are they after a few weeks in this time of year near the solstice will make little yellow flowers. All of them almost identical to each other, even though very different flavors of the little yellow flowers. Except for the arugula, which is a cream-colored flower, absolutely beautiful and intense flavor. These flowers, each flower intensifies so often and in this case again the uh flavor of the leaf um but this solstice time of year just wants that to happen maybe it's partly and another flower we're getting our squash flowers already we just got the first squash flowers this wow, week wow
0: really it seems kind of early
1: no there they are but this is for summer squash like zucchini yeah and, yeah and those happen to be planted in a greenhouse and they were started as as plants but they are yes they are flowering wow and um and those are a great attractor of of um, insects. And one really cool thing to note is that um, they are they most of I mean there are a lot of them that were here on this continent before the Europeans came. And I think there were squashes on the other side too. But um, so the ones on the in the Western Hemisphere did not have honeybees. Honeybees were introduced by the Europeans to this continent. Hmm. And uh, so it's there are wild pollinators, pollinating insects, including members of the bee family, but different bees, which were evolved to pollinate squash flowers. <laughs> That's, oh, wow. and they are up earlier in the morning. The honeybees don't come around until a little later. They're later sleepers, these wild pollinators are there a couple hours earlier, you know, as soon as the sun comes up, right. they're pollinating. It's really fun to watch. You know, there's a male flower and a female flower,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the ones that we pick to use and sell as squash flowers are uh, the male ones because the female one is the one that's going to make the fruit. Um, so some of the uh, the chicories are doing really well we now have the heading chicories which are mostly radicchio's and escarole they make a nice solid head uh with then some outer leaves and of which there are many varieties which we love and um then there are the leafing varieties which are never make a head they um and so we have both another new thing that we've got this year is a Gretti also known as saltwort
0: Hmm. I never heard of it
1: and I I grew it because a lot of people told me to grow it they said why don't you grow this it's so neat so we finally did and uh, so we're just learning about it ourselves it's a kind of an interesting uh plant and I've seen wild versions of it and then we should touch on the herbs that are um just coming into their glory now and uh One of them, the the Mediterranean herbs, uh, such as calamint, also called nepetella, Mm. um, is one that people don't generally know about. I I describe its flavor as a cross between mint and oregano, though. Oregano is still good, and um, thyme, of which there are many varieties, is flowering, some of it, and some of it, there's many, many kinds, all of which are really nice right now. And... um, Fresh sage. uh, And the kind that we grow is called Burgarten. And Burgarten is um, a bigger leaf, a rounder leaf, and I think a more flavorful than the uh, normal um, tongue sage variety. Uh, Marjoram is another in that group of Mediterranean herbs. And then we've been recently uh, growing every year Zatar.
0: Oh, nice
1: is uh, they call it thymus over there and the other side of the world and uh uh well, i've mostly seen it sold as Zatar marjoram yeah it's um and then, so that's one of our favorites and then we have another marjoram hardy sweet marjoram which you have to do from cuttings or divisions but um it it doesn't it just it is perennial and although it, we have to bring it into an unheated greenhouse to get it through the winter here. Uh, but it will keep doing that. It's, it's a little different from the, the wild March. I mean, from the annual marjoram, which is mostly grown by just planting a seed. Uh, it has a longer time. It, it will go to flower and then you cut the flowers and then it comes back again as a nice leaf. So that is the high points of the season.
0: Perfect. The whole time. That you were talking about everything, all I was thinking about was what we could put on the pizza. Yes, oh great! Right. <laughs> <laughs> so many good pizzas.
1: All of aforementioned.
0: Yeah. Okay. That was amazing. All the flowers are blooming. Chicories are starting to come Um, Yeah, amazing stuff Use some straws Use some lovage stems as straws I mean, why not, right? Um, Less plastic Less pollution Keep it out of the ocean, you know? Use a lovage straw Uh, So A little update What I was talking about at the end there With the pizza Is This weekend On Sunday afternoon I'm throwing apart Me and Eva Are throwing a summer solstice party at her farm in South Dartmouth, Massachusetts. And I want to invite everybody. We're making pizzas. We're making salads. People can come and hang out. If you're interested, hit me up. Message me on Instagram at Nevin Taylor. Uh, Write me an email. Nevin at NevinTaylorCooks.com because we need a head count to see how many people are going to come. But It's just going to be loose. We can hang out on the farm. We're going to be making some pizzas. A bunch of friends are coming down. Some farmer people are coming. Maybe some guests who have been on the podcast are going to be there. So if you're a fan, you can chat with those people. We can interact. We can live. We can be alive. We can talk to each other and love life. Because I love life and I love pizza. And we're going to be baking. It's going to be all organic. It's going to be all awesome. Sunday, June 24th, we're going to be there in the afternoon, hanging out, Come. Hang out with us, me and Eva, summer solstice party, ringing in the summer, right? I know that that's not the actual summer solstice, but that's when we can make it work. So, South Dartmouth on Sunday. We'll see you there. Reach out to me first. You need to get confirmation from me before you show up um, to make sure that it's cool. So, email me. Follow me on Instagram. Send me a message. Do whatever. Totally come and hang. This week... I went up to Goshen, Vermont, and interviewed Ethan West. He runs the Republic of Vermont. He has a pretty big maple operation. He makes some really unique products, uh, all organic maple sugar and maple syrup. He's got 4,000 taps, the Champlain Valley in Vermont, kind of on the side of a mountain. He keeps bees and makes honey. Pretty ridiculous. He built the barn. He's got a really cool setup. It's automated. It's the future. A little kind of like uh, integrating. I'll let him tell the whole story. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. So hopefully you enjoyed this conversation with me and Ethan West of the Public. Of
2: So my name's Ethan West. Uh I run Republic of Vermont, we're an apiary uh and a sugaring operation uh based out of Goshen, Vermont. Uh and we are currently in the Sugar House on a rainy day in uh in Goshen. So how would you get started into the
0: honey and maple stuff? Yeah, so
2: we uh, I started in the backyard. Uh, we uh my girlfriend uh, asked me if uh, if I thought we had any maple trees on our property that we could tap, uh, and I think she regrets asking that now because because we do, and we had like two thousand on our property. And so the first year we we tapped um, about fifty trees, um, had a fantastic time, uh, and spent all night in the backyard, you know, boiling sap into syrup, uh, and then uh, the next year. Uh, we, I dove straight in, I just said this, I, I needed a change in my life and this is something that we can do. We can live in where we want to live and make a great product. Um, so the next year we tapped 1500 trees, uh, and now we're up to about 4,000. Um, and then with that, uh, I realized there's a lot of downtime when you're not sugaring, sugaring happens in the spring, a late spring, uh, you know, March to April, uh, February to April really. Um, so, uh, I decided to approach some local beekeepers, uh, commercial beekeepers, about apprenticing for them. Uh, one of them took me under his wing and, and, you know, taught me pretty much everything I know. Um, and the apiary has grown uh, from you know a handful of hives uh, to we have about uh, eight apiary locations throughout the Champlain Valley, of Vermont, and we um, that, that are producing honey and uh, and dozens and dozens and dozens of hives (laughs) it changes all the time how many we have but yeah
0: i like that it started from just that over the open fire thing yeah that's pretty sweet Exactly the
2: backyard yeah it's it takes a lot of effort a lot of heat to make maple syrup so when you're doing it in your backyard with just like a little tiny evaporator and like you know kind of wet cordwood that's sitting around it takes (laughs) it's like 12 hours and you make you know, half a gallon, and right. you're, you're pumped. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, like, the, like the coolest thing, the thing ever. Yeah. yeah, and now, and now we make you know, uh, you know, about ten to twelve gallons an hour with our with our evaporator. Ten and, yeah. to twelve gallons an hour. Yeah, of, of um, maple syrup. Yeah.
0: Before we talk specifically about that kind of stuff, last time I was here, you mentioned that you built this.
2: Yeah, yeah. My my friend and I built this sugar house uh, in 2015. Uh, neither of us had built a building, Uh, so I designed it in Google SketchUp. (laughs) And uh, my friend's dad was a carpenter, and so he had spent a lot of time, um, you know, being told what to do, but he basically, uh, you know, said, okay, we can do this. Like, let's just, you know, start with one wall. We put the wall up and, uh, by the time we were done, you know, we, we were pretty, pretty happy with ourselves. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a rugged structure and it's, it, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sugar house. So it's a, it's a hardworking structure, you know, it gets wet in here and, um, you know, it's, it's so that's why we always said it's a sugar house. Like it doesn't look quite right when we, before we'd nail something off or, you know, some, wasn't quite straight. We'd be like, "Look, it's a sugar house. Just nail right. No yeah. one's living in here."
0: Yeah, well, it's was beautiful in here. Thanks. I yeah. like the, the yeah, energy well, for yeah, sure. It took <laughs>
2: us. It took us about. A, I he was back here in Vermont for about a month, my friend. So we had a we had a month to build it. So we just busted it out. You know, you build this days. whole thing in a month, more or less. Yeah, the, a lot of the finish work. You know, the, yeah, it uh, takes time. Right, right. Takes right, time right. after that, the electrical and all that. But yeah, the the structure, the roof, the siding, everything was like a month. Yeah, cool. just brutal august days yeah yeah that's awesome
0: it's a cool story definitely pretty old school yeah yeah i know it it
2: made us feel good because like you know our dads are like the kind of dudes who like built buildings in the 70s you know so it's nice to do that you know now and and get a little piece of that yeah and be proud of it so we can start with maple syrup. Yeah, yeah. So I guess just what's the season
0: like? What's the season like as a as as production starting in yeah. you know so January? We,
2: yeah, we basically we have uh, plastic uh, sap lines that run throughout the woods, um, and they run. A little tiny line runs to each tree. We drill a hole in that tree and then a spout comes out and it attaches down to a, a, a plastic line that attaches to a bigger pipeline that uh, eventually reaches like a very large pipeline that that drains down to the sugar house. Um, so it's this miles and miles of, of tubing um, this entire network uh, throughout the woods. Uh, so basically our, our first thing is to go out and deal with all the damage uh, from the year before. You know, windstorms and animals love chewing on it um, and it's all the entire vacuum systems under uh, or pipeline system is under vacuum uh, so if there are leaks places. It affects, um, how much sap we, we, uh, we get in a day. So we have to go out and you know, there's lines on the ground, there's trees down on stuff. The trails are all messed up. So we basically in January, December and January, go out and start cleaning up, uh, and getting things ready to go. And then sometime later in January, early February, we start tapping, which is the actually drilling the holes in the trees. So before that, there's no, the taps, you don't leave the taps in? No. So we, we've already pulled like this year, we're talking in, in April, or May, and we've already we pulled all the taps in April. Wow. So, it's, so the the holes you want to let the tree heal up as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, so as soon as we're done tapping, or uh, excuse me, as soon as we're done making maple syrup, we go out and pull each tap out of the tree. Out of all of those trees, uh, all the trees, and then each year we change, we actually change the spout. We cut off the spout, the the part that goes into the tree, and put a new one on to reduce bacteria okay. that we're putting into the the hole in the tree. Wow. Um, so it's a lot of going to the same trees over and over and over. Um, Um, And it's, it's, that's a unique thing about sugaring uh, is that you really get to know the trees uh, and the forest in a way that nobody else does. Um, You know, foresters uh, spend a lot of time in the woods and they see trees over the course of their life, but, you know, they might visit a tree, you know, eight times throughout its life uh, whereas we visit the same tree you know eight times in a year right. like minimum <laughs> and then that you know multiply that by years and years and years and you really really get to know all these trees so, yeah. so it's a it's a unique thing yeah um, that's awesome so then anyway yeah so the, we go out or we tap uh, the sap starts flowing on warm days so with a drill you go with the drill, drill yep. hammer each little, tree two thousand
0: times yeah four thousand wow. times four thousand yeah. two okay four thousand times yeah.
2: here 2000 at the other sugar bush. Right. Uh, so we do, we, do, um tap them all in uh and then we always have leaks all over the place when we start so we have to go through uh we have systems uh for finding uh air leaks in the lines and we go through and we have to patch those up replace stuff um you know we have a snowmobile and a four-wheeler so we um you know we we have access to to deep deep parts of the the forest that would be hard to get anything done if you were walking all day um so uh once we tap the uh, the sap starts running on days where the temperature is over um, you know, uh, over 40 degrees, uh, you know, any day where, you know, those spring days where it feels incredible, the sun's out and it's just like, but it's only 42 degrees. That's a perfect day for sugaring. You know, the sap cuts loose, uh, starts running through all that tubing and it's collected at, in big sap tanks, uh, at the sugar house and at a remote, a couple other remote locations in the woods. Um, so basically we collect all the sap, Uh, We have a SAP truck that we drive, you know, from different our different locations. Really cool truck. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's the the coolest truck I've ever owned. It's a it's a 1989 uh, big Ford F600, and it's it's a badass truck. Yeah, (laughs) and the back is just a tank. It's a huge tank, 1300 gallon tank on the back, and uh, yeah, I, I as a guy who's like grew up. Driving in like sedans and things, it's like <laughs> I've never owned a truck. It's like a that. big truck. <laughs> yeah, it's, cool. it's pretty cool. Uh, my neighbors were like, "What the hell? <laughs> like, Can I borrow that?" Uh, but uh, so anyway, we, we truck the sap back to the sugar house, uh, and then we we start processing it and turning it from uh, sap. Comes in at about. Two percent or sometimes less than two percent sugar. Uh and we uh need to process it up to uh the high sixties uh uh in terms of sugar content. Um so there's a lot of water that has to be um taken out. Taken out. Yeah. that's, so that's cool. the overview. Yeah, that's yeah. the overview yeah. for sure. Which
0: is so like those first like those winter months of like just going out, checking everything. Yeah, and then it happens really quick yep. after that like yeah, it's just it like it's a, a compressed fury. It's, a, yeah, yeah. it's
2: a few it's a few months it's you know anywhere from early February to mid-April uh, but it's not going the whole time you know there's right. there's whole weeks this past season we had weeks on end where it was just too cold for anything to happen so you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs waiting and then all of a sudden it cuts loose and you have no idea what to do with yourself and you know there's leaks everywhere that you have to go out and fix and um, so it it's it you know it goes from waiting to just you know not getting sleep for like three days because you have so much sap to deal with but it's since it's a compressed season you have to get it all done and and sap is sugar water basically so it it does uh it'll spoil so you have to deal with it pretty quickly
0: yeah you can't refrigerate it i mean it's already refrigerated in
2: in the early part of the season when it's colder outside the tanks are all sitting outside um it is cooler and it'll last longer but you get into like you know the first second week of april and the sun is blaring and it's like 65 degrees out you you gotta move quick to get that process yeah
0: so what is your process like here you have like a really cool setup i gotta say when i came down that first time to, to originally meet you it came in and everything was cranking along and it was just you in here i was like this is this is a setup this is pretty cool a lot going on
2: Yeah, my, our, our goal, uh, I, I work with, uh, my girlfriend on the whole thing. And our goal is to keep it basically so that I can manage everything myself, uh, in terms of the production and then, and then she can handle, um, the business end and the sales and, and, and marketing. So a lot of what we've done in the past few years is to, um, work on automating different parts of the process, trying to use as much of the latest technology as we can so that it can stay a one person operation um, and be profitable and efficient at the same time. So yeah, the evaporator is a great example of that. It's like pretty pretty automated, you know, it's a big boiler basically, and it, and it runs off of wood pellets. Um, which is rare, like this is, is like rare. a new yeah, the, technology. Yeah, it, it's more uh, common in Canada, in Vermont, And in New England, it's something, there are other wood pellet fired evaporators around, but it is something that's, um, you won't see all the time. Mm -hmm. Most people use, um, firewood, cordwood, uh, or, uh, fuel oil, you know, almost all of the bigger operations use fuel oil. Oh, wow. Uh, and you know, that's super easy. You know, you just flip a switch, it's on, flip a switch, it's off. It's a burner, Mm -hmm. um, a burner a big burner, but it's a burner. Um, And we wanted to use something that, we wanted that convenience while still using something that uh, uses a wood product uh, to burn. Uh, And, uh, we have a pellet mill. Uh, wood pellets are little compressed pieces of wood and basically sawdust that they make tiny little like hamster pellets out of and they burn super hot super efficiently there 's like no smoke uh, it 's just like complete like completely combusted almost um, and so there 's a pellet mill right down the road and so it 's a local wood product it's it 's being um, the trees that go into the pellets are being harvested in New England and and mostly in Vermont. So, so it feels good to burn those and and, and not fuel oil. Like it seems like the old
0: way of like opening up the front, throwing in wood. Like it just yeah. seems a little bit. It's already an energy intensive thing. Yeah, and it just seems like you're losing a lot of the efficiency when you have to kind of like yep.
2: so we we spent 2 years running a small much smaller wood fired evaporator like cordwood fired uh, and yeah so it's a, every 5 minutes you open the front door and you toss in you know a bunch of pieces of wood uh, and then you close it and then five minutes later it's like the wood is gone you know it's, it's burning so hot yeah. uh, but uh-huh. with that comes the fact that you need to store a ton of firewood uh, you got to cut and split all that firewood or buy it um, and then uh, you're opening the front door of the the, the burn box the, the um, on the evaporator and it's letting in a bunch of cold air and so the boil you know of the sap kind of cools off while you do that every five minutes so so with the pellets it's fed in automatically and the whole thing is sealed and and it's just unbelievably efficient. Yeah, so there's tons of other stuff to do, you know, when, as the maple syrup comes off of the evaporator, once it's been boiled enough, we have to filter it. You know, we got to put it into barrels, um, you know, keep inventory and, you know, keep the thing, everything running and clean and all that. So it does, you know, free up the sugar maker to do take care of things in the sugar house when they don't have to constantly be throwing wood in.
0: And do you use an
2: RO? Yes, reverse we do, osmosis. A reverse osmosis yeah. machine, which is less controversial than it used to be. Right. Pretty much everybody uses them now. Um If you want to make money in you know or make a living uh making maple syrup you really you really can't afford not to use one um there are i'll explain what it is uh first it's a uh water filtration system uh basically it's like borrowed from uh you know the water filtration world it's basically a big cylindrical filter that we run the sap through um and in the water world, you you, it would separate fresh, clean water from the impurities in the water that you'd get rid of. Uh, and so in the sugaring world, we reverse that and we get rid of the fresh, clean water and we keep the sugar water, which, would have been the junk water, uh, that's the sugar water. And, and so basically what it does is each time it runs through, the sap runs through the evaporator, um, it, it takes out 50% of the water, which is 50% less boiling you have to do. Um, so it's a huge, huge, huge energy savings um, for us. And so we take 2% sap and we boil between uh, 10 and 14% um, uh, sugar content. Uh, and and that that's like tons, and tons of pellets that we don't have to burn tons of water that you don't have to evaporate off by using heat. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So it, it's mechanically with a filter uh, separating some of that water out. And then we use the water to clean things and it's you know it's a, it's also a useful source of having fresh water in the sugar house.
0: Oh, so you actually get
2: and yeah, save we that store water? It. Yeah, we have a big tank for, uh, it's called permeate. That's what the, the name for that water is, but it's basically distilled water. Um, and so we use that to clean the pans and to clean the evaporator and the sugar house and everything. So
0: With
2: the old school sugar Maker yeah. type
0: situation there's drama yeah but we were talking last time about the you know a study that came out from UVM
2: yep yeah the Proctor Maple Institute they just did the like definitive uh, uh, scientific study on flavor differences in reverse osmosis syrup that's been through SAP that's been through reverse osmosis and SAP that's just been boiled over you know this, so they, they have two evaporators or the same evaporators they run the same SAP through it's very you know they do all the the standard scientific due diligence uh, and then they I, they, they did a ton of chemical uh, analysis of the the actual final product of the syrup uh, and they also did an extensive um, taste test with uh, some of the like best, biggest names in the industry and all sorts of sugar makers. And the, the end result was that there's, there's virtually no difference and there's definitely no flavor difference. Cause people were all over the map with what they said. You know, people were you know saying this is the worst stuff I've ever had. And it was like reverse osmosis, you know, high, high sugar content, reverse osmosis. And then people were saying, this is incredible. And like, it was, it was just all over the place, all over the map. People couldn't tell. So, so it, it kind of settles the argument, but you know, there's people who just, think it's unnatural to run sap through a filter and that's fine that you know yeah. It's a different different way of doing it.
0: Right. Yeah. But looking at it through uh, the the scope of a business yeah. is different than and the environmentally, like. environmentally, I mean, it's a little oh, bit of yeah.
2: electricity to totally. cut down on a ton of uh, uh, burning of whatever you're burning, you know, fuel oil or whatever. So, yeah. Which is huge. Which is very, very important. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of, it, it takes a lot of heat, like I said, to make maple syrup. So if you can cut into that process at all, it, it's, it's great. Especially if people are burning fuel oil. It's like the less of that we can burn. Right. Better. Totally,
0: yeah. totally. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that that's got to be that's a whole that's a whole thing. Yeah, exactly. That's a
0: whole thing. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Some someone way smarter and better than me can is going to tackle that one probably. Exactly. already has um yes. Okay, so back to the day yep. of when it's pumping. Yeah. You said you basically don't really sleep, but like what what are you doing in that day? Like so Maple comes in, goes through the RO. Yep. Things are steaming, so boiling away yeah, in here. it comes into the tanks
2: uh, and the tanks start to fill up pretty quick. We have about 10,000 gallons worth of storage uh, total for sap. Uh, and that sounds like a lot, but like twice this last season, I had sap pouring over the tops no of the way. tanks. And yeah. So it's, wow. So it, it can really catch you off guard. Uh, so basically we have to, you know, you're, you're doing your best to read the forecast and figure out you can't really have any obligations during sugaring season. Because if, if it hits, you got to be there, you know, you can't. Go out to dinner that night when you've got you know a vacuum pump that's not working and the sap's pouring in and all this stuff. So um, yeah, basically the the tanks start to fill up. We start turning on the reverse osmosis machine which starts to lower the level of the tank a little bit by taking out fresh water um, and putting back concentrated sap uh, and at a certain point we just got to get to boiling uh so we fire up the evaporator uh, it's filled with sap and uh at that point it's just you know we we boil until we don't have any sap left um and we i i do my best not to like pull all nighters any anymore you know we try to keep it you know, reasonable, so that I don't get completely fried. Um, but there are days where you know you start at 7 a.m. and and I'll end at like 10 p.m. and you know, then I got to get up the next day and go right at it uh, again. But that's just the nature of the season. You know, yeah. it's 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 exciting and uh, yeah, it's compressed. It's a compressed season, so got to got to make it while it's available. <laughs> yeah. So last time
0: i remember you did something so like once it comes out of the evaporator you were put
2: like there's a filter yeah uh, it's called a filter press yeah yeah it basically the the syrup comes out uh, very cloudy uh it, it's full of what they call niter uh which is which are basically minerals um that uh they just make it basically looks like apple cider it's like very very cloudy um And so in order to be uh, considered Vermont maple syrup, Vermont's very strict on their standards of production. they it needs to be filtered somehow um to to, so you know when you pick up a glass bottle of maple syrup you should be able to look right through it and it looks amazing it's like crystal clear so we run it through a a filter press while it's hot and it basically just filters out all the um the impurities uh doesn't affect the flavor uh it just it just leaves a clean um crystal clear product at the end so yeah so it comes off runs through the filter press Uh, We just check the sugar density and the the temperature, and then we drop it into um, stainless steel barrels where we store it uh, for most of the year. And then throughout the year, we bottle it. Uh, or we make sugar, maple granulated maple sugar out of it. Um, we barrel age uh, some of some of it in rum oak rum barrels. Um, so we basically have the ability to uh, use the syrup however we see fit throughout the year, however the market is going, right. um, rather than just straight up bottling right. it. So, in a day,
0: how much are you like? How many gallons of syrup are you making?
2: Uh, our biggest day has been 120 gallons. Um, we're not a huge operation. That's like those would be that would be tiddlywinks to a you know much larger operation. But for us, that's a huge day. Right. I'd say we average. That's a lot. That's it's, a lot. to me. That's yeah, a lot. It is but a ton. That's how I I'm I'm still not... feel about it. But yeah. Uh, but usually we average about 80 or 80 or so gallon, 80 90 gallons a day. It would be a full like eight hour boil, um, and yeah you know that that that's good you know if we can keep going going at that rate that's fine yeah. um and every year we improve efficiencies you know here and there and it, and little things go a long way towards you know making more syrup in a day yeah.
0: and then in, in the course of a season i know that it varies
2: a lot based on basically just the weather the the color uh the grading there's a whole grading system of you know in the there's a very light syrup uh and then there throughout the season it gets darker and darker and darker and makes a much darker syrup towards the end of the season Um, and that's basically based on uh the amount of bacteria uh, in the syrup Um, so in the early part of the season it tends to be very cold uh so the sap you know, it spends a lot of time in all this tubing and then in the tanks and then Mm -hmm. in the evaporator. And so it, it doesn't have it since it's cold, it doesn't, the bacteria doesn't have a chance to multiply much. So it creates a lighter syrup. Uh, in, when we're boiling in the you know, second week of April it's hot as hell in the woods You know the, it's sitting in the woods it's sitting in the tanks the tanks are hot I mean it's not like gross but it's just that there's more bacteria building up and they're multiplying quicker and quicker and quicker um, so by the time we boil it um, it produces a darker syrup which actually has more flavor more maple flavor yeah. um, and a lot of people prefer that um, so we, we, what we do is we take our light syrup and we make maple sugar out of it Uh, because it makes a nicer maple sugar. And then we sell uh, the darker syrup in our bottles, uh, in our glass bottles.
0: And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the maple sugar because that's kind of a unique, well, one, that's how I got introduced (laughs) to you and what you have going on. But two, is a really cool product that not a lot of people are making or doing. So I guess, how did you find that and what's the inspiration behind it?
2: You know, we New England and Vermont, and uh, you know, a lot. There's a lot of maple syrup in, in these places in, in in this region, and uh, we sell all of our our products retail. We don't sell any um, whole, uh, wholesale, like bulk, um, to larger companies. We we sell it all ourselves, um, and so it's it's difficult to get into some stores when you're just like, hey, I got syrup. You know, they're like, cool. We have eight different right. <laughs> sugar makers already selling here. Uh, so one thing most people aren't doing and most stores aren't selling is maple sugar which is basically maple syrup turned into granulated sugar through a process of heating and churning the product and it uh, you can it's incredible it tastes like maple syrup it smells like maple syrup you can use it in baking it's awesome um so we i just had a light bulb moment one time we bought the machine started making it we designed some cool packaging and all of a sudden we were able to get into all these stores um and you know through the door of all these stores that we we just weren't making any headway in um because we had this unique product that is a pain to make and it's it's difficult it takes a long time to learn how to do it uh and So once we were through the door, they, you know, our packaging and our branding is all uh, something we take a lot of pride in and it's all kind of, um, homogenous. And they said, well, you know, it'd be nice to have some of your other products here too. And all of a sudden we were the people selling syrup in these co-ops and, you know, high-end food stores and things. And then the honey comes next. And so it's, it's actually been a really cool product for, um, for opening doors for us.
0: One, how come I haven't seen this before? And two, how come I haven't like interacted with it much
2: before? And it's, Probably because it's a pain yep. and is expensive. It's it is expensive. That's the thing. Is it's you know it, it takes a lot of syrup to make uh, the the sugar and you know that's it's not cheap, but it's it's a great alternative. And if you can use it in uh, you know unique ways, I think it's it's worth it. You know, yeah. especially yeah. like in coffee and things. It's totally awesome. it's just so good. Where yeah. you just use a little bit of exactly. it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, You're not making like I mean, you could. You no. You but could you're not make, making make, like cakes and stuff. You could bake stuff. a cake with it. It's but true. it would be an expensive and cake. We do because we have a right. ton of yeah, it. Totally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like we have like five gallon buckets
2: up at the house that we, you know, that we, when we make something, we use it. But, uh, right. but yeah, for it, you know, if, if you're just buying it off the, the shelf, it is, it is a little cost prohibitive.
0: Yeah. Or if you're making a super high quality chocolate, exactly, like Mateo, like, is Mateo like did. yeah, <laughs> yeah so that he, blew my
2: mind. Yeah. When he said that to me, I was just like,
0: what? yeah And I need to meet make these connections happen exactly. yeah. for sure so, yeah he
2: made a chocolate bar that was or well somerville chocolate made it yeah right with yeah. his
0: cacao right. that and he so imported it was yeah. sweetened
2: with our maple sugar uh, which was and it was a delicious chocolate
0: one question that i have that you know i don't know the answer to is when the season's over what happens like does the sap just not have any sugar content left in it? Like it keeps running or? The
2: flavor, uh, the trees bud, that's what happens. So um, this whole process of the sap moving from the ground, uh, the root system to the, um, to the crown, to the branches, uh, basically we intercept that, um, on warm days, uh, through a process of like expansion, uh, the, the sap moves up through the tree to the crown. And basically what it's trying to do is bud and make leaves. Uh, and we intercept that with a hole and take some of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so when the trees actually bud, uh, these, the sap tastes, um, terrible. (laughs) And if you boil it into syrup, it tastes even worse. No way. Yeah. So, uh, It's a slow process. Uh, Usually you, you get some off flavors and you can still kind of go through, you know, kind of bust through it a little bit, but then at a certain point um, diminishing returns uh, are inevitable uh, and it usually happens when the weather's starting to really warm up um, and it's harder to store sap and then, and when sap turns, that's another terrible smell and taste. So uh, we try to go as long as we can without bringing in truckloads of of buddy sap. It's called buddy sap. You know, and we try try to end before that happens um, because it's just not worth going through the effort if it's going to taste off. Yeah. Um, And it's like, tastes like really bad. Early on, it doesn't taste that bad. You just a little hint, you wouldn't even know. Like, I could tell that it it was buddy sap or buddy syrup. Um, But if you kept going and you kept using that sap over the next few days, anybody could tell that, that there'd be off flavors with it. It's kind of a bitter, bitter flavor, huh. um, even though there's still sugar in it. It just, it's, yeah, once the trees bud, that's, that's the end of our season.
0: So then you there's still sap running
2: there's still like sap, sap you could running. still exactly. be pulling so we but you know it takes us a couple of weeks to pull the taps out of the trees and it's often you know really nice it's like 80 degrees in the woods and we're walking around pulling taps and the, the sap's still flowing yeah. uh and it and it's not there's nothing wrong with it it's just wouldn't make a good product right. yeah
0: not the right flavor so then you you decide when to or you know nature decides when it's over exactly you pull the plug yeah and the worry uh,
2: uh, throughout you know every season is that 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 process the budding of the trees is going to happen too early that it's going to happen the second week of March and the season's done you know so that's why sugar makers are constantly watching the weather and when there's big warm ups you know it's like oh god is this going to be the last run of the season Uh, even though it might get really cold afterwards for three weeks if the trees bud you're done you know so it's uh, fortunately we're uh, higher up we're on we're in the mountains here, the Green Mountains, um, at about, you know, the sugar bushes around 2,000 feet. Um, so we have a little bit of leeway there. You know, down in the valley, it, uh, sugar makers often sh- shut down before we do. So yeah. This season was up and down a bunch. Down. Yeah, we and had 3 weeks where we didn't make it in March where we didn't make anything. Uh you know, we had been going chugging along making syrup and then 3 weeks of cold colder weather. It Wasn't even that cold. It was just just below. It was like mid 30s where we just the sap didn't flow. Yeah. Um so that was a bummer. But uh it picked up again towards the end and it was a long season, right. but it was just all these cold spells throughout it.
0: Yeah. Um, so this season was good
2: it was for Over. us it was okay i'd okay. say um a lot of people had really good seasons but it was really localized it depended on where people down you know five miles from us down in the valley were making syrup on days when we didn't get any sap um so a lot of, it's because of the length of the season a lot of those people had fantastic seasons we just had an okay season yeah which is fine that right. that's part of it you know right. it's not up to us um climate change is a big concern uh Clearly, uh, maples are very particular about where they they grow. Um, they're they're like the Goldilocks tree. They kind of need they need pretty perfect conditions. It can't be too wet or too dry. And you know, the t- Vermont traditionally has just been the best place for sugar maples to grow. Um, and you know, that's why people argue that Vermont maple syrup is the best syrup uh, but that said you know with climate change happening uh, it's tough to know what's going to happen uh, with with sugaring in the future and in, you know by the end of the century we don't know if anybody will be making maple syrup it, you know it, in, Vermont, here, yeah. in yeah. Vermont yeah the, maybe in Canada you know in right. Quebec they may be still farther there. north right which is sad but that's part of why we're doing this and trying to you know keep this part of this tradition alive and, and yeah. make this awesome product while we can as sad as that is that said we may be, no one really knows, but we may be in a kind of, uh, good position for the next 20 or 30 years for making syrup that that may not be true but but I've, I've heard some uh, climate change scientists in in Ver- in New England and, and specifically in Vermont say that there may be uh, this may be a good place for you know the ski um, industry and the sugaring industry for the next few decades we may have colder winters yeah. and longer seasons right. for a little while before, <laughs> before before it all goes goes to hell so yeah. uh, we, we don't know though right. so every year it's just kind of like hopefully it's a good year and and that's how it's always been and it's agriculture and that's how it is so so you have an apiary as well so right as the yeah maple that's stuff starts reason, winding down that, that's another reason we have to stop boiling sap into syrup is because uh we have an apiary and that's early, early spring time uh, when when things are just starting to warm up and the trees are budding uh, is when the bees need a ton of attention uh, and they basically get set up for the rest of the year um, in those first couple weeks. Um, so we need to segue from bo- making maple syrup to the apiary like quick. And that's a challenging time of the year and it's something that I'm still working on figuring out how to do. Um, but You know, fortunately the the sugaring operation has grown much quicker than the apiary has grown. So I've been able to kind of master or not master, but, you know, get good at and proficient at boiling sap into syrup, uh, and you know, everything that goes along with that. And then slowly grow the apiary, uh, and, and deal with this kind of crossover of the seasons in a, in a gentler way than it will be in coming years (laughs) when I'm going to be all over the place.
0: What happens right after that transition? Like what?
2: So we basically, the first thing we do with the apiary apiary is go out, uh, to all the bee yards which are like fenced in little yards in on spread out uh, throughout the Champlain Valley uh, uh, and we checked the colonies to see how many survive the winter. They're all wrapped up, they're bundled up, um, and we basically get a count uh, and we figure out, you know, how well we did. It's, you know, it's it can be a scary time of the year, you know, with, you never know how many bees you're gonna lose. Um, we don't treat our bees with any antibiotics or miticides or anything, we're, tr- we're called treatment-free, uh, which, you know, sometimes leads to big losses uh, over the winter. Um, But that's part of the process and that's part of how we use, um, how we develop uh, a a breeding program that kind of weeds out some of the weaker colonies that that can't survive uh, the cold winters. It's kind of our our proving ground for bees, for queens. and um, So basically we go out and check unwrap the colonies, uh, and they're just starting to bring pollen in from uh, sugar, sugar um, red maples. That's usually the first thing that blooms in Vermont. Uh, and they're just getting going, just just starting to rear some brood. Uh, a lot of them might be close to starvation if it's a long winter, so we have to give them some frames of honey, uh, and to get them through that last part of the spring. Uh, and then they start to grow incredibly quickly, uh, and, it can get really out of hand if you, if you're not managing it well. And that's something that's been a challenge and it's something that takes a long time to get good at, um, understanding how much space the bees need in their boxes, if they need more boxes, more frames, whatever. Um, you know, so that you don't give them too much space and it's still too cold for them. Uh, it, you just, it just, all the stuff with the apiary just takes, you just got to, take the time to learn it over over years and years and years it's not like sugaring where you can go out and string some tubing up and plug some holes in a tree um Um, there's more life there's there's a lot more to it and it's it's uh keeping bees alive and productive is is very very difficult yeah the most commercial beekeepers truck bees you know all over the united states or canada and mexico too for that matter um and We don't do that, and there's a strong tradition of um, Vermont beekeepers in the Champlain Valley keeping bees and overwintering them you know, in the spot where they were all summer, they're there all winter. And then hopefully they're, they're there for another year in the spring. And, uh, that, that's a strong tradition. It's something the people I've learned from, uh, uh are not migratory beekeepers, even though they're commercial. Um, and it's the Champlain Valley is one of the best ma- arguably the best, um, uh, but one of the best places, uh, in new England for keeping bees, um, just in terms of the diversity of, of the, um, of, of what's out there for the bees to forage. Uh, and the uh, the density of it, so uh, so we're lucky to have kind of squeezed our way into the Champlain Valley. It's a, it's a it's chock full of bees, and and it's been tricky to find spots to put bees. But we've uh, we we found some some places, so we're doing all right. Yeah. So each colony is uh, a queen. One queen with uh, tons and tons of worker bees uh, and then some male bees that don't really matter. We won't even talk about them. Uh, but the female bees basically are the, are the colony, the queen and her workers. Uh, so basically in the spring, go out, figure out what's alive, what's dead. Uh, the colonies that are alive are going to grow really quickly. Uh, And we can't let them grow too quickly uh, because they will swarm, uh, which is swarming is the main thing that we deal with in the early part of the season. It's basically the way that the bees in nature um, reproduce and basically they raise new queens. And, uh, the old queen and most of the bees leave the hive and they go form a new hive somewhere else, not in your apiary Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the woods or in somebody's house or something. And you, you basically with all those bees leaving, you lose your honey crop from that hive because the population just went down to nothing the hive's not dead technically they have new a new queen and there's some bees but it's just you're toast Yeah. yeah so basically what we do from the first part of the season this early uh the spring until uh the days start to get shorter um the summer 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 solstice is that right so basically from from spring until that point uh we we basically have to uh uh, fight the swarming instinct and control it uh, by adding more space, making sure the bees don't feel crowded. They basically swarm when they feel crowded, um, and so it's a huge challenge as they're growing super quickly, and you got you know tons of hives to go through and make sure that they're all. Being productive and strong, but not too strong, and that they're going to swarm and leave, and and they always do. Some do, um, but that's the main thing we're 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 working against. So we're giving them new boxes of you know frames to go on top of the you know if they're one story colonies, they need a second story, um, and then during this time we're also adding uh, honey supers, which are smaller uh, boxes that go on top, which is where the bees uh, naturally store their honey above them up. They go up, uh, so that's where they store the honey that we're going to harvest at the end of the season. Um, So basically, a lot of materials management, moving boxes around, moving bees around, getting everything going. The bees are growing. Uh, And then uh, at a certain point, we start uh, working on making nucleus colonies, which is basically how we keep the apiary going. We make a ton of... Very small colonies uh, each summer, and uh, if they survive, if those small colonies survive the winter, uh, they'll grow into full size colonies that'll make honey the next summer. So we're on like a two week schedule of making uh, nukes, They're called nucleus colonies. Um, so we basically spend a lot of the summer making these tiny little colonies with four frames. You know, a big handful of bees and a queen, uh, and uh, raising queens uh, is another part of our operation. Um, and basically we, we raise a ton of small colonies. It's like a farm league yeah. for the, for the apiary, you know, yeah. it replaces the colonies that die. It helps us grow. And we'll make them stronger, right? Like instead of just buying, like, yeah, we don't want to bring in uh, more, any more bee. we don't want to buy bees from other States or anything mm-hmm. like that. So we, yeah. we basically raise our own bee. it's a breeding program, just like any, just like you would with cattle or anything else. You pick colonies that are, you know, productive and gentle and survive the winter, um, and healthy and you breed off of them and you make, tons and tons of little small colonies yeah. uh, that the next spring I have to run around and deal with as they grow into huge colonies. Uh, so that's the, the the majority of the summer is um, spent making those uh, and there's a lot to it, uh, but that's the basic... Uh, part then you basically get to August and it things slow down a little bit you're done making nukes um, in the early part of August it and things slow down because the flowers are the, the flowers pretty are, much are still going but the days are getting shorter so the bees aren't aren't going to swarm oh. they're 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 instantly within a day or two they pick up on the the length of the day and they figure out that they need um to start thinking about winter i basically, see basically so they switch simple, into that mode form. yeah, yeah. They, got so it. they're not going to swarm anymore they may but they hopefully won't um and you you've you've at that point you've set them up you know they're they, they're in the boxes they're going to be in you know, you've hopefully got your honey supers on there um so august things slow down a little bit and then there's a there's a ton of uh, the fall flow around here, where um, you know the things that that bloom in the fall is another huge honey flow for us. Um, so we have to be prepared for that more honey supers. And then right around that time, we also start to extract, which means we take the honey off of the hives, bring it back to the sugar house and we process it and bottle it and sell it. And then at the end of that, after that, we wrap up the colonies. We, we, if we have to, if they're very weak colonies, uh, that need a little bit of feed, which is like sugar water, we'll give them a little bit of that, not too much. Uh, and then, uh, we wrap up the colonies with insulation and put them to bed for the winter. So that's like the, the shortest yeah, right, right, possible right. way i can explain it all no that but, was perfect yeah. i think you get a good yeah. view of so it's 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 a lot of driving uh in the summer in vermont which is awesome it's beautiful yeah. beautiful time to be driving around but you're driving from yard to yard, and it's a lot of moving equipment around you know b boxes and frames and things like that heavy um, lifting heavy lifting yep there's a lot of that um but it's it's if you can make it work it's not a bad way to spend time in the summer it's it's pretty pleasant yeah it's hard it's hard work but as soon as you're done you get back in the truck roll the windows down cruise to the next b yard you know you feel great It's, it's a good it's good sounds like a really
0: cool way to live your life but um It's just like a cool natural flow of the like starts with the maple syrup. Yeah. Then you're maintaining this, you know, like very, it's like diverse stuff. Only two, like two natural products being made in the end. But there's just so much that involves like a whole lifestyle around it for sure. It definitely tunes
2: you in. Like we were talking about, it tunes you into what's going on in nature, you know, driving down the road, looking at things that are blooming, you know, figuring out what that flower is. And if, you know, if the bees are working that flower and then with the, with the maples, you know, it's just like all about the weather, you know, like, is the sap going to flow? It's, it really, it's farming, you know, it really, I mean, it's, it's agriculture, I'd say it's, it's, it, it, it's based on the weather and it's based on nature. So it's, it's highly unpredictable (laughs) in that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What are maybe a couple of the things like that each season you like look forward to the most or like what point of the season are you like honey
2: harvest is awesome. Uh, the you bit you have to there's a lot of lifting and moving of heavy honey boxes hopefully if it's been a good year to bring them back to the honey house but when you're actually processing the honey and it basically spins uh, in an extractor do you use a hot knife when you uh Uh, yeah we do it's yeah Yeah. exactly yeah it's it's mounted to the wall and it vibrates a little bit so we can just kind of run them down it yeah uh that and you got the radio on and you just like got a ton of honey supers to cruise through. That's fun. I like that a lot. Meditative. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, you're like, you got your honey, you know, you it's like yeah, it's, it's like in gold. The, exactly. Until it's in the bottles. I've been told by beekeepers. I know, uh, until, until it's in the bottle or the barrel or whatever you put it in, you don't count it yet. Cause there's always something that can go wrong. But at that point, you're pretty sure you got the honey, you know, nothing went terribly wrong. Hopefully, um, So so that's a that's a really the fun, whole season fun of all of
0: this like work all and maintaining work. Exactly. and everything yeah. that comes to. And the other exciting
2: thing is in the with the apiaries in the spring. If if the bees do survive, it's awesome. You know when it's been a re- like this past winter it was super cold. So every colony that I cracked open and I saw bees in there, I was like yes, nice. You know, that's just like you did. Yeah, you're like at that point you can claim a little bit of credit. Not you know it's not entirely at all up to you, but you but but you did something. You shepherded it along. It, it, in some way, yeah, yeah. You didn't screw it up. Let's right. put it that way. Okay. You didn't kill them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> So, like, that that's a good feeling.
0: If you just have any kind of um, insights into just, like, living your life and doing these things the way that you're doing them, you know, in the style you're doing, is very, uh, you're choosing very specifically to do things the way that you're doing them.
2: Right, um, right. Uh, both beekeeping and sugaring uh, are there are strong traditions in Vermont, and especially right in this region, the Champlain Valley, and they, they've been going on a very long time, uh, and I have a great amount of respect and reverence for those traditions and the people that have done them for a lot longer than me. Uh, I don't claim to be an expert in any of this stuff. I'm just trying to run a business and um, you know live a life a certain lifestyle uh, that's really hard work and really uh, rewarding in the end. So I don't claim to, to, you know, there's a lot of sugar makers that are like, you know, sixth generation sugar makers and, you know, or 10th generation. I've, there's a 10th generation. I don't even know. It's, it's crazy. 10 generations of sugar makers. Um, and, and I have a lot of respect for those people. And, uh, fortunately everyone's super supportive of, um, most people are very supportive of people like me who've gotten into it more recently. Yeah. Um, when they, when they understand that you're doing it for the right reasons, uh, and you're doing, you're taking care of the woods and things like that. Um, but yeah we we do use our website and social media to, um, to sell our products. That's how we do it. Um, and we are not a lot of agriculture in this area is based on markets that are out of people's controls. Um, you know, global markets in terms of milk prices and syrup prices, you know, and things like that. And we are somewhat insulated from that because we spend so much, we've spent so much time building our own market to sell our products. It's a full-time job. Just selling our product, uh, so we're a little bit insulated from that, uh, which uh, is comforting in in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a lot of work, but it's it, it is comforting. Um, but what we do, the actual process of boiling sap into syrup and going out and raising nucleus colonies into production colonies and uh, in the apiary is not that different, you know from 200 years ago, 150 years ago, uh, a sugar maker would walk in here and they'd be a little confused as to why the evaporator was so shiny because it's all stainless steel, but they would pretty quickly be able to almost probably instantly figure out what we were doing and basically how it works. And the same thing with the apiary, you know, you could bring a beekeeper in from 150 years ago and they'd say, you know, still using wooden boxes, still using wooden frames, Queens bees. It's like, it's all, it's, it's all. It's hard to like change the essence of it. You know, you can add as much technology and as many reverse osmosis filter membranes as you want, but it's still, you know, the same process in the end. And it ties you to the land in the same way. Right. <laughs> <The> weather. Right. <laughs> well.
0: Puts you in this like respectful position. Yeah. Which you, is important. Yeah. You have maintaining to re-
2: exactly. You have to respect what's going on outside <laughs> and yeah. keep an eye on the weather. So
0: you're one of the few places that I've ever seen you know, having maple syrup that has the organic certification on it. What does that, what does it even mean? Like, what does that mean to?
2: that, so there are a lot of, uh, more and more maple syrup is becoming organic certified. Uh, and people always ask what the hell is organic maple syrup? Like, isn't it all organic? It comes from a tree. That is true. Uh, but the certification process is, um, important being organic. First of all, is very important to us. Uh, my girlfriend's parents have run an organic dairy for 30 years, uh, right down the road from us. Uh, and they were one of the first organic dairy farms in Vermont. Uh, and it, it's always made a, made a, big big impression on me and it's a big deal for us to be certified organic Um, and what it means is there's several parts but one of the major things is um, forest management practices uh, so that they come and inspect once a year, our entire operation, uh, head to toe. And they just, with the forest management, there's a lot of ways you can do damage in the woods. Uh, there's a lot of issues with uh, uh, water runoff in, in the woods. Um, you know, the size of the tree you're tapping, uh, how many holes you're putting in trees. Um, you know, it, organic is, is first and foremost about soil Uh, and, and keeping the soil, uh, in, you know, as part of the process, uh, uh, and there are sugar makers and there are, are operations that don't take as good of care of the woods and they would not be able to be certified organic. So they come and inspect our woods, make sure we're, we're taking care of the woods. We're not leaving trash everywhere. Yeah. Yep. And occasionally in the summer, there's occasional spot checks in the summer. Um, and they walk the entire Forest, you know, all 4,000 taps with an inspector. Uh, and then the second major component is um, food safety. Uh, so they inspect your sugar house. There are a lot of requirements. Traditionally has been a lot of lead-soldered equipment uh, that's still, since sugaring equipment lasts a long time, it's still in use. So they do, they're very strict about that. Um, all, all your pumps, you know, the impellers have to be, have to have no lead or brass in them. Um, and so they go through everything and check everything. And then uh, food traceability is the third uh, main component is that you, I have to be able to show, you know, if there's a problem with a bottle of syrup, when it was boiled, the date it was boiled, you know, when the sap was brought in. So there's a ton of record keeping, uh, the inspection is rigorous, takes better part of a day. Um, but in the end, they're basically, uh, by having the logo, the organic logo on our bottle, it's showing the customer that um, we have, somebody who knows what they're talking about has come and, and put a stamp on this operation saying, we take care of the woods, we have a clean sugar house, you know. You're, you're, it's a good product. It may not be any different, you know, from the guy next door who's destroying the woods and you know not doesn't have a clean sugar house. It could be the same syrup, but um, it's it's peace of mind and uh, and you know somebody's come and look at us. Yeah. And the last thing is defoamer. Uh, the the syrup foams when it heats uh, when it's heated uh, and the we add a drop of defoamer to knock the foam down uh, to keep the syrup from foaming out of the pans. Uh, uh, and the the defoamer that we use is um is an organic defoamer made of like uh safflower oil which
0: other people would use something that wasn't yeah it, uh, or, uh, i forget like some what sort the
2: uh, uh what the um generic brand is but it's um it basically it, anything oily that breaks the surface to, i mean people used to use hot dogs uh uh or uh, uh milk uh but a cream you'd pour a little cream in and it would that's really? what the old timers used Whoa. or you boil some sausages in the back pan no and way that keeps, you know the oil keeps the. Uh, <laughs> but if, if we did that we'd be in a huge amount of trouble so yeah, yeah. not organic mixing dairy and yeah Yeah. Meat. Yeah, yeah not organic
0: an anymore yeah <laughs> Yeah. That's pretty cool. I never, I've never heard that before. The hot dogs, or sausage thing yeah. in there. Um,
2: yeah, a lot of, a lot of backyard people. You know, that's an awesome thing to do if you're not trying to sell the product. Can it's you just, eat it afterwards? Yeah, totally. Oh man, it cooks It like boils the sausage in the this, the, the like, it's between sap and syrup, so it's awesome and sweet. Uh, and you know, the syrup, I'm sure, is a little bit affected, but you know, whatever. It's hot as hell in there, so it yeah. probably boils off any impurities. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool.
0: You know this is this is more this is a lot of the work that needs to be happening and is starting to happen you know through agriculture in so many different ways yeah and food and restaurants and you know having an open mind to basically look at any of the systems that are in place in terms of distributing or in terms of production or in terms of all of this stuff and not assigning any sort of like negativity towards any of it is uh you know, it's awesome that this is that and this is the stuff that's gonna change the world and like make the world a better place, like more organic stuff. yeah. People and, being able to do it on their own and be proud of it and take care of the land and the
2: woods and, and you Vermont know. Vermont is an epicenter of that. I mean, totally. all around here, I, I could name a dozen other people who are doing, you know, vegetables and, you know, uh, micro goat dairy right down the road. And yeah. it's like, it's awesome. It's, it's, renaissance it's a renaissance right now, it's for sure. very cool. Uh, and people are actually making a living doing it. You know, yeah. it's not just hobby, farms you know oh, yeah. there there are people who are willing to pay for better quality food and and that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah.
0: All right, so I have a couple questions yeah. that I've been asking everyone. Go um, for it. First question, what is the last memorable food or meal that someone else has cooked for you?
2: Oh man, uh I had one of the people I keep uh, bees on their property on their farm. Uh, they had pigs that they uh, organic pigs, and they gave me some. I guess they weren't pork chops. What's the cut that's like the best cut of? Uh, it's like a pork. Is it a tenderloin? Yeah, tenderloin. Tenderloin. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was a tenderloin. Yeah, uh, and a friend of mine cooked it up, uh, and it was it was like. I'm I've, ne- I've never had anything like that. I mean it it was cooked uh, in the oven, nothing nothing crazy, but it was just the meat was so good. It's nothing like anything you could buy in the store. Like the pork in the store is just like garbage compared to this. Yeah, I just like roasted just never pork had, tenderloin like, pork, like from like a dude down the road and it was awesome. So wow. now I'm going to like now I'm going to try to buy half a pig from him. Yeah, But yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was awesome. That was the best thing I've had lately.
0: Yeah. Cool. What is a memorable food or food experience from growing up or your childhood?
2: Oh, interesting. Uh, my dad took me to Russia in the 90s. Uh, he's a Russian historian. Uh, and right after the Soviet Union fell, I was a little kid. He was going to a conference there. Took me there and uh, I, he had me stay with the family for like three days that didn't speak any English because he had to go to a conference. He knew the woman, another professor, uh, and I ate some incredibly unique things there, but the thing I remember the most is every night they would give us warm milk before we went to bed. And that, you, you always hear about warm milk, but I never had warm milk. Yeah. I don't know anyone else who's like had warm milk. Yeah. And it was amazing, uh, it like changed my life. So I, 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 I love warm milk because of that um, wow. before bed, yeah. So last question is what is the last
0: memorable food or food experience that you've cooked or given to other people? hmm
2: so uh let's see i met a woman who told me she didn't like honey uh which i just didn't even know was possible and apparently a lot of people don't like honey they think they don't like honey anyway and it was at a tasting fortunately uh of our product and uh, It took me, she was an older woman. She was probably in her 60s, and it took me like 10 minutes of talking to her. She's like, I just don't like honey. I've never liked honey my whole life. Just don't like it. And I said, look, just try this. This isn't what you get in the grocery store. It's raw. It's not heated. It's it's a different product. Uh, and she tried it and she loved it. And she bought like a case of the honey and was like going around telling other people and like had her whole family come over. And she was like, and everyone's like, oh yeah, she's yeah, my whole life. Grandma's never liked honey. And now she, she is with a case of honey. So that was cool. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's, that's what I'd say, you know. Okay. Yeah. Because people have this grocery store honey that's like been heated and blended and who knows what's in it. Uh, and it's gross. And yeah, syrup. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's so it's, it's awesome to you know change somebody's world with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say in terms of like if that's cooking for you for me. Yeah. You know, what I mean? like yeah, yeah, totally. doing that for someone when You're they're like I, like, I don't, don't like, like this like thing. It's like, let me cook it for you. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like maybe exactly. you'll like it. That's probably um, much more common
2: in your world, you, you know, in terms of cooking stuff. It's, it's happened like, a few times. Yeah.
0: yeah, but the honey that's that's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Really special. Yeah. Ethan, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. and letting me come and hang out and come check everything anytime. out. Yeah. I'll be around
2: for sure. Sure. Right awesome. on.
0: On Instagram at Republic of Vermont. You can go to his website, republicofvermont.com, and you can buy any of the things that we talked about in this interview the organic maple sugar, maple syrup, some of his honey. He's also got t shirts and all that stuff for sale. I'm going to link a video that you should check out below. Follow Ethan on all those spots. Thanks for listening come down to South Dartmouth this weekend on Sunday and hang out and eat some pizza and talk about food and cooking with me and a bunch of other people who love food and cooking as well.